So here's a verse that's been uh, hitting me. You know, I like the Lord's highlighter. I don't know if you've ever encountered the Lord's highlighter. But when I'm reading scripture, things get highlighted to me. And when the Lord highlights something, I know there's some juice there for me. And so I'll chew on something. And I want to get all the nutrition out of it that I can. But here's one in Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Wait a minute. This is the Son of God. He needed to grow in favor with God and with men. That kind of throws a wrench in some of our ideas about Jesus, right? The perfect man who had everything going for him and didn't have to deal with any of the stuff we have to deal with, right? He increased in favor with God and with man. The Son of God had to increase in favor through developing a history of obedience and faithfulness. He wasn't exempted from the process that we have to go through. If he needed to grow in favor, how much more do we? Or I should say, if he needed to grow in favor, then we surely do. Favor comes by faithful service in your assignment. And the Lord learning that he can trust you. You know, some of us go through most of our lives trying to, fig- trying to learn to trust the Lord. Not realizing that the reverse is true and is even more significant. He's learning to trust us. If, if you are the kind of person that commits to an assignment, and once you commit to it, by golly, you're going to do it one way or another. You're actually teaching the Lord that he can trust you. But if you're kind of, the kind of person that drops something when the going gets tough, checks out when it no longer makes sense, you need to realize that actually you're in a place of testing right there. Are you going to stick in there in your assignment when the going gets tough or not? All right, it's getting quiet. (laughs) Psalm 119.105 says this, and I'm, I'm going to take us on a little journey today because Tuesday is 19 years since we launched Freedom Fellowship, so I want to go kind of over our journey a little bit, where we came from. And uh, how we got here, so that you know what we're about. I mentioned different pieces of it once in a while, but I want to do a little bit more of an overall picture this morning. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is. When God's word guides you, you will never walk in darkness. His word is his voice. That is, first of all, scripture. Scripture is 
the first way that we need to learn to hear the voice of God. When your uh, foundation for hearing God is in the Word of God, Scripture, then when something doesn't measure up to that, you're going to know. Yeah, that doesn't quite feel like how God talks. Because Scripture is what teaches you the language of God. It teaches you the paradigm of God. It teaches you the plumb line of God, of truth. So that when something, when you become thoroughly familiar with the Word of God, something doesn't measure up to that. You're like, yeah, that, I'm not sure that's the Lord. Because that kind of clashes with what I know about Him from His Word. And so we need a strong foundation in this of, of Scripture so that we understand and, and are able to be confident in the voice of God that we hear. Uh, he speaks through Scripture. He highlights things. I love it when he highlights a verse to me. And he speaks through his spirit, speaking to my spirit. Uh, he speaks through dreams and visions, through prophetic words, etc. cetera. Uh, he can speak to you through the newspaper, believe it or not. I know... Smith Wigglesworth wouldn't even allow a newspaper in his house. But, but it is possible for the Lord just to lift something off, something as like a newspaper or even out of a movie or whatever. And the, there are several times when the Lord spoke to me in significant ways through a movie. Believe it or not, he, yeah, he can do that. He ministered to me uh, in, in a really significant season of my life through a movie that he had me get and watch that I'd never heard of before and it actually facilitated a major shift of perspective in my life that I needed I'm not promoting every movie when I say that I know there's a lot of trash out there but I'm saying to you you need to hear the voice of the Lord to follow John 10 27 Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me if you're the Lord's sheep Hopefully you're not a sheeple that just follows the crowd. That's not what he's saying. He's saying his sheep know his voice, and they follow him. I began clearly hearing the voice of the Lord when I was born again in 1986. And my father required me to hear and obey his voice. It was so, I believe it was so important for me to fulfill my assignment that I learned to hear and obey. And he some of the hardest lessons that I've had were when I blew off what I heard from him. Or maybe it sounded too outrageous to me at the time. Or maybe it sounded too contradictory to the voices of people that I was, that I was submitted to at the time. But every time that I didn't obey what he told me, I would end up in the woodshed. The Lord does have a woodshed. And it's not for storing firewood. I know what woodsheds are for. I grew up spending enough time in the in the family woodshed, I know what it's for. And, uh, but he would chastise me when I compromised and didn't obey what I knew he was telling me. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, I'm going to read three verses. The Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, I'm not saying I was, I'm an Abraham. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying God's going to make a great nation out of me. That's not what I'm saying. Verse 3 is what I wanted to kind of focus on. And I actually have struggled with this, although I knew this was a verse that was over my life. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I hesitated to use that scripture because I'm so conscious of not ever cursing people. And I don't want anyone to ever think that I would go around cursing somebody. I don't. I've, I've had a, a conscience about that long, long ago. Uh, scripture set tells us very clearly, bless and do not curse. Uh, but let me say that when God, when, when people have come against me and or our church, we have blessed them. We have, we have chosen to bless those who have cursed us. People often bring a curse on themselves, though, when they curse something that God has blessed. So, 19 years ago, I was serving Pastor Dode in Dover. And uh, I had an assignment there that lasted six years. And uh, a guy named John Weaver came to me and told me that God gave him a vision for me. John Weaver lives over here in Shreve. Uh, he was a friend from back before he knew the Lord. And, uh, and he said he saw a vision of a one-room schoolhouse-type church filled with Amish people, and I was preaching to them and teaching them. He said the place was packed full. I'm like, interesting. In January of that year, Dode's dad passed away, and I did his funeral service. And that same month, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I'm releasing you from this assignment. And so I went to Dode and informed him that the Lord's releasing me, and, and, uh, and what he said was, I'm releasing you to go out into Amish country and to start a church like I put in your heart to do, to plant a church. The reason, the reason why I shared that verse in Proverbs 119 is because the word of the Lord was the light that illuminated our path and instructed us where to go and what to do. And, uh, and when God said something, says something, I know that we're not going to be walking in the dark. We're going to be walking in the light. We didn't plan a church based on a survey of what neighborhoods needed a church whether the, 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 the average income in the area would support another church. We didn't do any of that. We simply stepped out in obedience to the voice of the Lord. I'm not coming against that. I, I know that's a common practice today. What I'm saying is we didn't do that. And so I informed Dode of what the Lord was releasing us to do, and he said, so, he said, I knew that was coming. He said, when are you supposed to start? I said, well, I haven't got to that part of the conversation yet. And so I went back and asked the Lord when we were supposed to start, and he said, July 4th. I said, okay. So I checked the calendar, and sure enough, July 4th was on a Sunday that year. And so uh, we began to pray in the process, you know, uh, starting at launching a church on the 4th of July. And uh, uh, Joe Schrock was one of our original team back then. Remember that, Joe? And we're saying, what should we call it? 
And I remember Joe saying, well, it would have to be something about freedom. And those words just hit my spirit, and I knew he was right. And so we called it Freedom Fellowship Church. And we launched on July 4th, 2004 at the pier. Uh, most of you, some of you may not know where the pier is. It's on the Winesburg Road going out of Mount Eaton, uh, an event center. And uh, we could only use it several times until we found a place. They said, yeah, you can use it for a few Sundays, but not for long. And so, uh, but I had told the Lord that we'll plant a church because you asked us to. But I hate to think of my relationship with my dad getting damaged again because of us ministering to people in the Amish community. And I know how that whole rumor mill thing works. And my dad was very well known in the old order Amish community. And I knew that it would only be a matter of time till stuff got back to him. And, and, uh, and so I said, but, but we'll do it. So two weeks after we started, my dad went home to be with the Lord. So that ended up never being an issue. And, uh, and we, were, we were meeting the first several Sundays and then Faith Christian School in Strasburg uh, found out and they said, hey, why don't, you, uh, why don't you come use our auditorium until you find your own building? And I'm like, okay. That seemed almost too good to be true. They're just like, hey, we'll just, we'll just let you use it. And so, uh, so we did. We, we worshiped there for a while. And, uh, and we kept an eye on a, I kept an eye on this building that I saw in Mount Eaton that had a Baptist church in it. And so I told Dave Fell, who was uh, selling ads all over Amish country at the time, and, and uh, he did business with the owner of that building. And so I asked him to let me know if it became available. And around the end of that year, it became available, and we moved in there. And we rented that building from 2000, end of 2004 to 2009. And we had a lot of fun there. It was, it was uh, a challenge. Uh, it was very limited space. We made do. It had a bathroom. It had a small kitchen. And it had an upstairs that we turned into maybe two rooms. I forget if it was one or uh, maybe two rooms. And every time the kids did anything more than just sit uh, upstairs, there'd be the lights would be rattling, and it was a challenge. But we had a lot of fun there. And in 2009, the landlord asked us if we wanted to buy the building because he needed to sell it. And if, he wasn't, if we weren't going to buy it, he's going to sell it to someone else. And I didn't want to buy it. And so we started looking around. It was too small. It was too limited, landlocked, you know, all that. And so, uh, so we started looking around, and every once in a while, this building, which had been empty for a couple of years since Fairlawn went and bought, uh, built their big churchplex, I called it, um, just outside of Apple Creek there. And so every once in a while, somebody would bring up the old Fairlawn building. And at the time, this was uh, a gymnasium. This was a full basketball court gymnasium. And the sanctuary was over where our multipurpose room is. And, uh, and I thought this was way out of our league. I mean, we were a handful of people. We didn't have any money. But I finally said, okay, let's go look at it. So we came over here and looked at it. They took us on a tour. And then the leaders at Fairlawn uh, said they wanted to meet with us. And so we went over to a meeting with them. And, uh, 
And they told us that we want you to know that we're going to do what it takes to put you in that building. We want you to have the building. I'm like, okay. That's still going to be a lot for us to digest. But you know what? We bought it. We moved in here in January of 2010 with a handful of people wondering if we were crazy. And during that period of time, I had a dream one night. And I was driving out of Mount Eaton on Route 250, heading toward Apple Creek on 250. And outside of town, in my dream, I was stopped by a, a road construction project that went right across Route 250. And, uh, you know, it was big, big bank of dirt, you know. And I, I pulled my car over and walked up on top to see what was going on. And here they were building a super highway from north to south, down, right down through the middle of the Amish community. And, uh, and I knew that it was uh, uh, a highway of holiness. It was a, a highway, a spiritual highway that God was preparing to bring his gospel and his glory into the Amish community. And it was coming from the north toward the south. And I believe the alliance that we have formed uh, with the well and cross connections is the spiritual base of that highway. Because we're all across the north side of the Amish community, and the Lord is building a highway. And I think Fire in the Hills uh, is one of the platforms that God is using now to bring the gospel to this community. It's, it's phenomenal how things, and we didn't plan all of that. The Lord just, that just fell together, you know. Uh, but anyway, so we moved in here in uh, 2010, and we just paid off the mortgage seven years early. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God's faithfulness. Revelation 12.1 says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland or a crown of twelve stars. And to me, that crown represents a reward for faithful service. The church owes a debt of gratitude to the 12 apostles of the Lamb who gave their lives for the gospel. This has really been hitting me the last while. You might think, well, every one of those except... John died a martyr's death. And it wasn't because they didn't try to kill John. They tried several times, and they couldn't kill him. You know, when the Lord's called you to an assignment, there's nothing big enough to take you out if you're faithful to your assignment until you're finished. And uh, the enemy wasn't big enough to take John out. They, they threw him in a vat of oil uh, to, to uh, scald him to death, boiling oil. And that couldn't kill him, so they put him on an island filled with wild animals, so let that wild animals take him out. And that's exactly where the Lord wanted him. And, uh, and that's where he had the revelation that we call the, uh, the book of Revelation in the Bible, revelation of Jesus that he received. And, uh, but the cost was necessary for them to become foundation stones of the eternal city 
the new Jerusalem. And when you read in Revelation 21, verse 14, it says their names are written on the 12 foundation stones of that eternal city. And so the chief cornerstone is Jesus himself. He gave his life. And so those foundation stones were required to pay the same price. And I will always honor them. And when I, you know, we, uh, we, we have these little cute little phrases that we use for some of these, you know, Peter, you know, and, and his boldness and sticking his foot in his mouth, you know. None of us have that problem, of course, right? And, uh, and Thomas, you know, I've heard him called Doubting Thomas all my life. I don't call him that. I don't call him that because I was in India. India is where he was buried. And in India, they honor him for the, the phrase that he uttered when Jesus said, let's go back because our friend Lazarus sleeps. And, and, and the disciples said, they're going to kill us if we go back there. And Thomas said, let us therefore go and die with him. The courage and the commitment in that man of God to the call and the assignment that God had on his life is something that I want to see replicated here. That we're willing to, to give our life for the assignment that God has on us. We're called to take the gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the earth. And, and God's raising up warriors here. You know, in 2010, the Lord spoke to me and he said, this is going to be known as a special forces training camp. And, you know, there's people that have a lot more spit and polish to their training programs. But I don't think there's people that have more courageous warriors than the ones that are being raised up in this place. And if there's anything that I want us to be known for is for faith and courage, because that's what it's going to take to take this gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the earth. And the Lord doesn't need all your, need all your spit polish and, and, and years of seminary education in order to use you. He needs a heart that's surrendered to him and willing to give what it takes to fulfill your assignment. And I believe very firmly that America is called as an apostolic nation and, and that we're called to take the gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the earth. It's when we are faithful to that assignment that we prosper as a nation. It's when we falter and forget who we are and forget what our assignment is that the enemy begins to overwhelm us. And we're at a time now where, where there's more and more people that are beginning to surrender and respond to that call that's on us to take the gospel of the kingdom to nations. And I've said for a long time before it even made sense to me, uh, but I stand by my, com by, by, my, by my commitment that I'd much rather die on the front lines of the battle with my boots on than in a nursing home having someone change my diaper for me. I'm not against people dying in nursing homes. What I'm telling you is me. For me, I would rather uh, go down in flames on the front lines somewhere knowing that I gave everything that I have to, to the gospel that the Lord called me to. And, and I believe that there are more and more warriors that are, that are coming into this place that, that are sensing that same call, that same, uh, that same uh, passion awakening in their hearts, that same desire 
to be used to take the gospel of the kingdom to nations. And like I said before, you don't have to be the one who goes if that's not what your calling is. Because not everyone's called to go to the front lines. But we can either go, we can help train those who go, we can intercede for those who go, we can financially support those who go. Uh, But in any event, we're being invited into more and more nations, and it seems like we're being invited into more than we can handle. We've always kind of been way over our heads, whatever we've done. Uh, But but, uh, Brazil is, is wide open to us right now, and we've got our hands full in Peru, uh, and we've made a commitment to two different regions of Peru, and now Brazil is saying, please come and help uh, train us in how we can reach our nation with the Gospels. And, and this is not the population centers on the coast of Brazil, but this is in the Amazon jungle region uh, where, where Peru runs into Brazil on the, along the Amazon River. That's where we're called to go. That's where God is opening doors and where he's given us favor. And so because uh, we have faithfully served the Lord in Peru, he's given us favor there. People trust us. People want us to come. They know that our motives are pure, that we're not there to build something to put our name on, to make something for ourselves. They know that about us. They know that we're there to serve them and help them become powerful so that they can fulfill their assignment. And so that's uh, what we are giving ourselves to at this time. We have a team that's in Albania right now, uh, and we're trying to sort out how we're going to partner with Daryl and Debbie in building an apostolic center for the nation of Albania. Uh, We have uh, an invitation. I'm supposed to go on a a trip to Bolivia later this year and, and to meet the uh, the national director of the, of the uh, Foursquare Church in, in Bolivia who wants, who wants to meet with me and convince me that he's not a denominational guy. At heart, he's a kingdom guy. I'm not, all right, let me, let me explain what I think about denominations. I'm not against denominations. What I'm against is walls that separate God's people and keep them from working together. They keep them from fellowshipping together. They keep them from being family together. And I believe that we're going to see what God is building become so powerful that it's going to begin to spill over the denominational walls. And I think those walls are going to get lower and lower so that we can link arms. Because I don't think a denomination inherently is against the purposes of God. But when it becomes institutionalized and all we do is focus on everything inside the walls and not the rest of the body of Christ, then the Lord has to do something to uh, cause those walls to either begin to disintegrate or or come down to where God's people can fellowship across those denominational walls. Amen? And I believe that's going to happen. Um, The crown also represents authority that was gained through faithful service. And and to me, that woman in, in Revelation 12, verse 1, the woman clothed with the sun. You know, the sun is Jesus. She's clothed with the glory of the sun. The moon is under her feet. When the, moon, when the, when the, the woman is clothed with the glory of the sun, and the, then the moon is under her feet, the power that rules the night is under the feet of the church. Amen? When she recognizes that she's, she's clothed with apostolic authority, she's got that crown on her head that not only represents the 
accomplishment of the, of the early apostles and everything, but it, the equity that goes because of that, the, the authority that's gained because of faithful service, there's an authority that comes on the church to fulfill the assignment uh, that the church has to the nations. And I've mentioned this before, but years ago this hit me when I was at Morningstar at a conference. And this young man came up and he showed a chart of the rise and fall of the stock market in the United States since, I don't know, 20s or 30s, a long time. And then he brought another chart, and he showed the number of missionaries that America has sent to the nations, and he put them on top of each other, and they almost matched up exactly. And I said, there is a glimpse of our purpose right there. When we have been faithful to send missionaries to the nations, our stock market has gone up. It's just like a measuring thing to show us when we're aligned so that God blesses us. Listen, if you want to be involved, if you want your business to be blessed, if you want your family finances to be blessed, you need to be involved in something that God is doing to nations and missions. Because it's our assignment as a nation. If we as a nation begin to rise up in the apostolic authority that God has called us to as a nation and, and make it about sending uh, missionaries to the nations, whatever we want to call them, evangelists, we can call them uh, missionaries, we can call them apostles, whatever God has assigned them to do. If we are faithful to send missionaries to the nations, God will bless us as a nation because we're fulfilling our purpose. And the most more powerful than any prayer, more powerful than any prayer you can pray, is you walking in your purpose. You can pray all you want to, and if you're not walking in your purpose, there's not going to come a blessing on your life that will come when you're walking in your purpose. It's when you're fulfilling your purpose that the blessing of God comes on your life, and he will make things begin to work out right for you. And, and so whatever that purpose is, I want to encourage you, make it a primary focus uh, of your prayer and of your efforts to, to, do, to do something connected with your purpose. And as you're doing that, uh, as you're doing that, bring something to support missions, whether it's your personal involvement, whether it's, whether it's uh, helping to train people, whether it's helping to go, or whether it's helping to fund those who are called to go. And, and uh, the only time in Scripture that I say, that I hear the Lord say, prove me with this, test me and prove me with this, it then has to do with your finances. And that's in the book of Malachi. If you want to find out if God will be faithful to you, try him, test him. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to try this. I'm going to, I'm going to start supporting missions at a level that I haven't supported before, and I'm going to see what you do. Just, just find out how faithful God is because he is faithful to do what he says in his word that he will do. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 says this, 1 and 2, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What does it mean to be a steward? Well, one thing about being a steward of mysteries, you, you know, you could say mysteries are revelations, special uh, release of, of divine knowledge and wisdom that God has given to you. Uh, one thing you don't do is to cast it before swine. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. So you're required to steward what God gives you.
Anyone who believes in Christ as their Savior, you can ask the Lord to give you words of uh, knowledge for healing. He may show you a body part. He may just, to me, he just speaks what it is. But I'm not the only one that should be getting these words. It should be a whole lot more people. We need to work together as brothers and sisters to see uh, the best that God has for us. Thank you, Mark. You're a good man. Appreciate your faithfulness. Colossians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Whatever God's given you to steward for him, the necessary requirement for you to be developed as a steward is faithfulness. Jesus said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? And faith isn't just a substance. It's also a history of faithfulness. They're, they're, they're interconnected. Thank you, Lord. I've been dealing lately with the notion that there's actually people who kind of want to take advantage of our favor because that we've developed through our faithfulness. And they may, there may be people doing this, trying to do the same thing with you. When there's a favor that comes on your life because of your faithfulness, that there may be people who have not paid that price who want to hook on to your favor. And it reminds me of the scripture in Isaiah chapter 4 where it says in that day seven women will take hold of one man and say we'll eat our own bread we'll wear our own apparel only let us be called by your name. We still want to do our own thing. We still want our own identity. We still want to feed on our own spiritual bread but we'd like to take advantage of the favor that you've acquired through your lifetime of faithfulness to the Lord. And there, you can't do secondhand stuff. It doesn't work that way. Everyone's got to be established on their own foundation, their own history with God, their own serving faithfully with God. I'm not saying that there's not a corporate benefit that, you know, there's obviously people who come in who, into the, the fellowship who don't have a history with God that some of us do, and they obviously can, can uh, benefit from the corporate history that we've developed, but, but they eat our bread also. They wear our apparel also. They take on a, an identity here. Does that make sense? Second Timothy 2.11 says, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. That's not talking about physical death. That's talking about being born again. That's talking about having allowed your 
life to come to an end. Water baptism really uh, is the entrance. It's, 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 it's a thing. We need to unpack this further, but I, I see a time possibly in the future where we're going to have a baptismal pool or baptistry open at every service. I'm getting more and more convicted about it. I'm seeing a picture of where uh, the church has tried to, you know, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were required to go through a time of, of eating only unleavened bread. And it's, it's like starting out our walk with the Lord. You go through a, a, a season of purification, getting the leaven out of your house. You're the house, by the way. You're the house of getting the sin, getting the, the, the stuff out of your house. That's, there's, that's an instantaneous thing, and it's also a season of, of you going through purification, of you cleaning up your practices, what you do and what you don't do, of cleaning up what you watch and don't watch, what you engage in and what you don't engage It's cleaning up your house because it's, your house is becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's becoming the most glorious place on the planet. It's where God lives. And, and, and so then after they had come out and they'd gone through that period of unleavened bread, they went through 40 years of eating the bread of heaven in the wilderness. And the church has gone through a long time, not talking about us in particular, the church in general, of feeding heaven's bread to people who have not been transformed. Trying to transform them through the bread that we feed them, Right? We're not transformed by the bread. We're transformed in the water. And I see a shift happening to where instead of trying to transform people through the bread that we feed them, which is the word of God, let them be transformed in the waters of baptism and let's feed that heavenly diet to a transformed people. Because it's not the diet of those who haven't been transformed. It's the diet of those who have been transformed. Amen? Listen, I can teach you stuff that's heavenly truth, and if it goes into a carnal mind, it's not going to do much, except make you angry and frustrated because you're not able to live into what, I, what we're talking about. But if we will allow our life to end in the waters of baptism and come up a transformed person, which is something that... The Lord really began to reintroduce to us in the waters of baptism at the fire in the hills in a very powerful way. Then we can teach a transformed people. And here's the thing. We've got to get a... Uh, it, it's interesting to me, Anabaptist, by the way, that means rebaptizer. It doesn't mean anti-Baptist. You're not to be anti-Baptist. That's not what it means. A lot of people have been anti-Baptist. We're not supposed to be against the Baptists. Or against being baptized, either one. But Anabaptist means those who rebaptize. But it's interesting that a lot of the descendants of the Anabaptists are against rebaptizing. Isn't it funny how that works? We end up doing what was done to us. That's, that's happened all the way down through history. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you may only be baptized one time. 
Yeah, but there's that scripture that says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Yeah, and it also says in Hebrews 6, the doctrine of baptism is plural. So how do you hold those in tension? There is one baptism, and it's in the Jesus. And go ahead and be baptized into Jesus as many times as it takes for you to be baptized into everything that he has for you. But that's the only one. It's into him, into his death, into his burial, and into his resurrection. And, and Greg Crawford was here last year when uh, he was talking about being frustrated at people who don't get what he teaches. He says, sometimes I'd like to just take and baptize their heads so they can think with a new mind. And Amanda says, I want to do that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> how, many of you, how many of you entered into that? There's quite a few of you. Like, I want to do that. And so a whole bunch of people the next day lined up to baptize their heads so that they could think with a new mind. And something significant happened with Amanda. So I, I didn't start that. I was blame Greg and Amanda for that, but I'm here to say something happened because it was done in faith. Amen? If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If you die to who you were, the, the person that was born from your mother's womb isn't the person that's going to heaven. That's the carnal version of you. You were born with an old carnal nature that didn't desire righteousness. It desired to be rebellious. It desired to disobey. It desired to not be pleasing to God. But there's a new person that comes into being when we're born again. And it's, it's that new person has the DNA and the personality of Jesus himself. That's the one we're talking about. If we died with him, then we were also raised with him, right? Into a new life. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. I, I, I think... I want to be careful. It's easy for us to fall into some of that because of peer pressure, because of what's cool in whatever our peer group is, that we pass judgment on people who do things differently than we do them. We see someone picketing outside an abortion clinic, and why do they do it that way? That's not going to work. You know what? Every person has the freedom to respond in faith to what God puts on their heart. And when you stand in judgment over other people, that's a dangerous place. Because you have the same right to respond in obedience to what you feel God puts on your heart. And, and that, we just need to get out of that judging business. You know, there's people that, that their, uh, their, their manner of obedience to the gospel is to go out and pass out tracts. You can make fun of them and say, that's not in the Bible. Or whatever, or you can celebrate that they're stepping out in obedience to what they know. And maybe the Lord's going to take them further down that road to where they're not just passing on tracks, they're actually witnessing 
out of their own journey. They're praying for the sick. They're leading people, doing all of that. But you got to celebrate where they start. Celebrate that they're wanting to do the right thing. They're wanting to be obedient to the gospel. One thing that's really bothered me in the Anabaptist conservative Anabaptist circles that I have been around for many years is when I see people making fun of what somebody does under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That pierces my heart. I'm like, you have no idea the, the thin ice that you're walking on right now. Because when you mock something that's done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whether you would do it differently or not, you're, 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 that, that's a really dangerous place to live. And uh, I don't ever want any of us to come to a place where the Holy Spirit won't engage us anymore because we've mocked him. Or what somebody does under his influence. Amen? Amen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. So if you're without faith in God, he, he's going to keep being faithful to you even if you are without faith. Because he can't deny who he is. He is faithful and true. That's who he is. He's going to be faithful to you when you've let him down, when you've sold him out, when you have run from his assignments on your life, you're calling his, his call on your life. When you've run from that, he's still going to stay faithful and he's going to keep coming around and, win, and trying to win your heart because that's who he is. He's faithful and true. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. So let's get ready for whoever wants to be anointed. Now, first of all, let me just make it really clear. I can't put oil in your lamp. That's not what this is about. You're going to have to develop that in the context of your own relationship with the Lord. You have to pursue the Lord. What I want to do is I want to anoint you and, and, and just come into agreement with the Holy Spirit, leading you into a deeper level of intimacy with the Lord. Amen? It's, it's a really big deal that our lamps are full of oil because each of us has a vibrant, relevant relationship with Jesus and Holy Spirit. And he's illuminating our vessel. He's filling us with oil. Our lamps are burning and we have a reservoir besides. Amen.